Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. Very good. Awesome. How many are happy to be in church today? Amen. It's a good place to be. Why don't we stand as we pray this morning before we dig into the message? Father, we thank you for your word today, God. We thank you that it does have the power to change our soul. Our mind, emotion, and will are transformed by the preaching of your word, and we thank you for it. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. So this morning, I just want to dive right into this. I felt um, just in the last couple days that uh, God was speaking to me about going through the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians with the church. And um, sometimes it's good to take a book and go through the book, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, because there's a story to be told, amen? There's, there's truth to be, to, be, uh, to be grabbed a hold of. So this morning I want to t- uh, start with the book of Ephesians and uh, talking about learning to stand, okay? So the background of the book, uh, so we understand, is that uh, Ephesians was uh, a principal port, okay, on the west coast of Asia Minor. That's where it was located. Near present day is Mar. And this was one of the seven churches that uh, Jesus addressed in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. If he talks to the seven churches, that's one of the churches he addressed. He first visited Ephesus early in Acts chapter 18. As you know, he was called in to minister there. Apollos was a minister. He was preaching the gospel, but he wasn't getting people baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul came, you guys remember the context, he came and said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. And he prayed, they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and then he stayed there and ministered a bit, okay? So that's the first time he went to, uh, to Ephesus. And uh, then he returned again in AD 55, so some years later. He ministered, he ministered there for two full years, and because of his uh, close connection and the time he spent, he developed a deep relationship with the church of Ephesus, and we see that in Acts 20, verse 17 to 38. But... Um, Paul was imprisoned after that, and while he was in Rome, he wrote the book of Ephesians, he wrote the book of Philippians, Colossians, and uh, Philemon. So he wrote those books while he was waiting trial uh, in Rome. So it's very important to understand that. So it would seem that Paul, while he was reading, uh, as he was stirred while he was reading uh, or writing the book of Colossians about God's purpose for the church as the body, the body of Christ, and he was stirred to understand that the church is called to overpower the forces of evil. And so when we get into the book of Ephesians, it starts off and it brings us to the end where it teaches us spiritual warfare. And he, reads, he writes elaborately on the church, church's concept of authority. So the purpose of the book of Ephesians, number one, is Christ's body expresses his fullness in the earth. So this book really reveals that we, the body of Christ, reveal the fullness of Christ in the, in, in the earth. Number two... It uh, says that both Jews and Gentiles become one people in Christ. So that really clarifies that for those who had questioned that concept, that it was a bringing together of both the Jews and Gentiles into one body, okay? And then number three, uh, the purpose of the book is to empower, equip, and mature believers to enforce victory over evil. And this is the whole purpose of the book of Ephesians, okay? Um, we see the basic steps to maturity are outlined as well in the book of Ephesians. Number one, we, before the church is called to war, she's taught to walk. And then next, 
before you can walk, you need to be taught how to stand. Okay, so a little baby has to learn to stand before the baby can learn to walk, right? And, and of course, you can't fight unless you got the ability to walk. So we go through all of this, and there's an actual breakdown. As you're studying through the book of Ephesians, you'll see the breakdown. In chapter 1 to 3, okay, is the believer's position. So the first three chapters teach us how to stand, how to stand on our own two feet. The next chapters, chapter 4 and 5, the believer's learn how to practice the gospel. They learn to walk it out, okay? Say, walk it out. And then number three, chapter six, we're learning how to fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight against principalities and powers and all of this, okay? And uh, we need to understand, and as we're reading through the book of Ephesians, we see the word predestined. We see predestined, and and we're not talking about predestination, that God pre-approves who will be saved in the future. It's more a predetermined pathway for people to come to Christ, okay? And there's a whole teaching on that. Uh, Because a lot of people believe that everything that happens to them is allowed by God. That God is in control in the aspect, in, in the way that he just, if anything happens to you, well, God had to allow it to happen. Well, there's lots of scripture that shows us that we are free will agents and we can make decisions outside of the will of God, right? And we see, I'll give you one scripture for that, and there's many, but Hosea chapter 8, verse 4. It, it, you know, Israel is in a state of rebellion, they're rebelling against God, and God says, they set up kings, but not by me. So I didn't appoint that king, but you set him in place. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge those princes. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. And so we understand that people can make decisions outside the purpose and will of God. All right? And in, in, in the book of Ephesians, we realize that we have a lot of control over where we go spiritually based on the decisions we make and our obedience to God. Amen? So this week, I want to start with talking about um, learning to stand. And so let me just get my Bible open here in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, I like how Paul addresses and starts the, the book off with his introduction here. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He identifies himself as an apostle. An apostle is a delegate, an ambassador for a kingdom. So an apostle is an ambassador for a kingdom. So Paul says, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm bringing a message. I'm here. I'm commissioned by Christ to bring this message to you. So how many know it's important? Okay. And then he identifies who we are, the body of Christ. He says, to the saints who are at Ephesus and the faithful in Jesus Christ. Now, I love this word saint because this word saint actually originates from the Greek word, which means to be holy or to be set apart. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you're a saint. So when something's sacred, it's set apart, and God looks at you. You might not think you're holy, but God looks at you and says, you're holy. Because he sees the finished work of the cross. He sees the blood of Jesus, and he sees this robe of righteousness that's been put over you. And he says, they're righteous, so they're saints, okay? Very important to understand that because um, the New Testament uses the word saint over 67 times it's used, that word saint. In every instance, the reference is to all believers, 
not to a specific elite. So it's not like they're saints because they're apostles. Or they're saints because they feed the poor or they're mature. No, all believers are called saints, holy, set apart. So what does that mean practically? Well, my wife is from Sweden, and she gets candy shipped from Sweden, and and that is sacred to her. And she has a little hiding spot. I'm not going to tell you where it is because if you visit, you might go for it. And she hides the candy, and I've found it. My kids have found it. And we were in trouble for finding it. Just put it that way. Because that's sacred. That's special to her, right? Sometimes someone has a car that is like their pride and joy. And, I mean, you do not eat in their car because it's sacred. It's set apart. It has much value. That's what the word holy means, right? And we never see this word saint being used for a special group of believers. It's all the people in the body of Christ, okay? Uh, Christians are called saints because we're called to live set apart from the world, separate to God. We're supposed to be followers of Christ. Now, some Christian groups teach that you need to be dead first. So you got to die, and then there's, for two years, you got to wait, and then a, a committee comes together, and then they determine if you've done enough good works, if you were uh, virtuous, were you a martyr, and have you performed one or two miracles, then you can get voted in as a saint. Amen? But that's not the biblical verse. That's not what the saint is in the Bible, is all believers. Say all believers, right? And so let's go to verse 2. We can spend a lot of time there. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's very important here because the word grace, if you look up what that word means, it actually means favor, okay? And, And the word here, peace, means prosperity. So what Paul is saying is that favor and prosperity is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you to have favor, and God wants you to prosper because you're his kids, all right? And Paul wants us to understand the foundation for everything is God's favor and God's prosperity. It's nothing we can do in ourselves, but this is who God is, okay? Let's read on here. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, say past tense, So you don't have to pursue blessings because you're already blessed. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Okay? So all the blessings are in Jesus. So as long as you're in Jesus, as long as you stay in Christ, you have all the blessings that are available to you. Okay? It's not of works, lest any of you shall boast. You cannot earn more blessings from God. They all belong to you by faith. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predetermined or predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So out of that passage... There's two things that we have to understand as believers that will allow us to stand up and use our legs, okay, spiritual legs, okay? And these are the two things. Go to the next slide here. We need to understand, in order to stand, we need to understand this, God chose you. God looked from eternity past and he said, there's going to be someone in Trenton, Ontario, who's going to have a humble heart, who's going to want to seek my face, and I'm going to provide a way for them. And the next point is, 
he with great pleasure adopted you. With great pleasure. He's excited about you. He loves you. When you adopt a child, they come into your family. They become like your child. And, and you have love for that child as if that child was your own child because it become, you're adopted in. It gives God great pleasure to adopt you. Tell your neighbor that. Say, it gives God great pleasure to adopt you. Okay? And the next one is, he made you acceptable. The, the finished work of the cross, what Jesus did, when Jesus shed his blood, it was for the forgiveness of your sins. And the moment that, that you accept Christ, say, Lord, I accept the sacrifice. I accept that you went and you paid the price for me. Then that, that, that becomes yours. You get sanctified. You get washed by the blood and you're sanctified. And God says, now I have someone that I've adopted. They're a child of mine and they're, they're squeaky clean and they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And see, Paul, Paul is saying that we need to understand this to, in order if we're going to stand, right? Because if we don't understand that it gives God great pleasure, okay, um, we can get to a place where we're not healthy emotionally. You know, God, God made us a three-part being. We're, 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 we're body, we're, we're spirit, we have a body, and we have a soul. If we're not healthy at a soul level, see, emotions affect your limbic system, the part of your brain that releases automatic nervous system to, to operate. And if that goes out of balance, it'll affect your health. There's all kinds of stressors that go on, and you live in, in a state of stress instead of homeostasis, and, and it can affect your health over the long term, right? Affecting your peace, affecting your health. And so that's why it's so important that our connection with God has to be rooted and grounded in his love for us. He's not just your master. He's not just, you know, you're not just his servant. You're a son and daughter, and we can call him Daddy God. He's our father. And we have to understand that. And that's why, you know, uh, in, in the Old Testament, we, we, we read about, uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... When you pray, what you're doing is you're seeking uh, for, for God to work in your life and seek my face, seek relationship with God, right? Seek for emotional interaction with God, to know God's heart. Then you'll turn from your wicked ways, right? You can't even turn from your wicked ways until you seek the face of God, to have healthy understanding of his love. I want to show you a video um, that will try to help you understand that. is that babies are much more capable than we initially imagined. We turn it up They're a bit. also much more vulnerable. And in Edtronic's still face experiment, we get to see both in a very short period.
We see the baby and the dad playing together in their routines. There are things that they know about each other and things that they do together, and it's fun. And then we ask the dad to turn away, and when he turns back, to keep his face completely still and not respond to the baby. And the results are almost immediate and they're devastating. The baby looks to the dad and tries to get the dad to get back into those games. Hey, we were just playing just a minute ago, weren't we? We were having fun. What's going on? And then the baby starts to get frustrated when that doesn't work. Look away and look around the room and find something else and then look back and say, now can we play? And within three minutes, the baby has really dissolved. She is trying to get out of the chair. She's uncomfortable. She's reaching out to dad. She's crying. And then we ask the dad to turn away again. And when he turns back, to go back to being regular dad. And it's a joyous reunion. They get back into their routines, the things that they do together, the things that they were just doing three minutes before. And the baby settles down and gets back to the comfort zone that she's developed with the dad. What we see in the still face experiment is how able the child is to initiate and be part of the relationship between the father and the child, but also how much she depends on that relationship in order to keep an even keel. And when she's grounded and comfortable, she can explore the world, she can meet new people, she can try new things, and she's got that safe base that she can always rely on. And there's a trust level there. We can only begin to imagine what it's like for babies whose life is like that three minutes all of the time. And they don't get that responsiveness. And they don't get any help getting back to an even keel. And the results can be very tragic. They can have trouble trusting people. They can have trouble relating to people. And they can have trouble being calm enough so that they can explore the world and take part in the world. So we know that those initial relationships, that initial responsiveness and interaction between the father and the baby are keys to the baby's success as a child and as an adult. Awesome. Thank you. So what we see here in this video is that when the father is making a, a connection with the child face to face. The child is exploring and connecting and, and there's a, a correct understanding of a relationship with the father. When the father has a still face, the child doesn't know what to do and emotionally is unsettled. And we found, uh, you know, research shows us that uh, face, in face to face conversation, uh, communication is 55% nonverbal, 55% nonverbal. Um, 38% vocal and 7% words only, okay? So you can understand, and that's why I was saying in the first service, 
One of, one of the things you need to learn if you're going to be a public speaker or a preacher is that you have to smile because if you don't smile, people aren't connecting. You have, to, you have to show that you enjoy what you're doing, right, and that you believe what you're doing. If you sit there with a still face, people don't connect emotionally, right? So, so we understand that communication is important. And, you know, one of the reasons why Joel Osteen has such a big church is he's got a perma-smile, right? <laughs> you guys have ever seen. I mean, everyone wants to be around a smiling face, right? And, and the thing is, if we don't understand that God is smiling at us and God is he, he has takes great pleasure in the fact that you're his child and he loves you and his thoughts for you are more than the sands of the sea if you don't have that understanding what happens is you don't have the foundation to stand on therefore you can't walk out your faith effectively so Paul is Paul is wanting us to understand God has chosen us he has great pleasure in the fact that he's adopted you and he has made you accepted it's so important that we under Stand this. Now we're going to go to the next statement here that Paul makes. Okay? Uh, there's some in him statements that, goes, that go on in the first chapter. And verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Okay? So we already have redemption. We already have forgiveness of sins. We have to understand that it's already been taken care of. When you understand that God sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it's easier to walk out your faith. If you're focused on your sin issues, uh, you can't put your shoulders back and confidently walk out in faith what God wants you to walk out. Does that make sense to anyone? You know, I'll give you an example. Here's, here's, a, here's a picture um, have you ever gone to a social event underdressed? Anyone ever been there? You didn't know that it was a dress code, but you show up in a formal dress. Okay, this is what, I'll show you a picture here of a guy who showed up at a formal event. Just waiting for the picture. There it is. Have you ever been this guy? Right? You show up and you're kind of like, you're, you're not dressed appropriately, right? And you're like, there's a sense of shame. You feel like... It's harder to walk up and talk to people and have conversation because you feel like, I don't fit in here, right? And uh, I've taken my wife to a few events, and I forgot to tell her there was a dress code. And it's not a good thing, guys. Um, and we'll look at the next picture here. Oh, we have one more coming up. There we go. Here's a guy who showed up at his wedding. Now, she does not look impressed, okay? All right. So you might as a believer say, okay, I believe what Paul says, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that God has already forgiven me of my sins. God has already adopted. But, uh, you know, do you believe it in your heart? Because you know what? If you can walk into a room where there's believers or go to church and still feel ashamed, still feel like you're not spiritually dressed properly, that everybody else is here and you're here spiritually, that's because you have that revelation here, but it hasn't dropped into your heart. And God wants it to go from here to your heart, right? Because when you go to a nice event and you're dressed nice and you got your tuxedo on and you're, you know, you're so confident, you feel good, you look good, but if you come underdressed, you, you feel a little bit ashamed. And I want to say that if you come to church and you feel shame, it's because you haven't realized how much God loves you. You haven't realized that your sins are fully forgiven and that you've been cleansed by him, all right? And so this is so, so important to understand this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 to 12. In him, 
also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Okay? And um, it's important to understand, Joe, I used to work with foster kids. My wife and I, we worked with foster kids, and, and I actually worked helping foster parents with, with, with foster kids. And it was my job for a season. And one of the things we noticed with foster kids is uh, I had many conversations where the kids would come and say, well, they only care for me or support me because they get paid, right? They don't really love me. I'm a paycheck to them. I had many conversations. Now, that's not really a truth statement because what the child doesn't understand is the money you get is not really even enough to pay you for all the stuff you do, right? Um, but that's how they feel. But once someone is adopted, the children realize I'm an heir. God, God has adopted me because he loves me. I've been adopted. This family loves and cares for me. It's, I'm no longer a paycheck. I'm no longer just a benefit to them. We have to understand that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So we have the spirit of adoption. We can call out Abba, Daddy, Father God. God wants us to connect with him and, and understand how much he loves us and cares for us, Right? David understood that in the Bible. David said, as the deers pant for the water, so my soul longs for you. David had a relationship with the heart of God. God wants you to have a face-to-face -face relationship with him. Right? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Amen? So what does it mean? What does it mean to be an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ? Well, being an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ means that as a follower of Christ Jesus, you are adopted as a child of God and an heir to all the promises that God has given to his people. Okay? To be a joint heir with Christ means you share in the inheritance of all that God has given to us, okay, including the hope of eternal life, the assurance of salvation, and the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus said, it's better that I go away because I'll send the Holy Spirit to be your comforter, to be your guide, right? So there's two lines of inheritances that we receive, and this is according to the book of Ephesians. Number one, we become heirs to God's promises to Abraham. We don't hear a lot about this in the church, but all the promises God made to Abraham are yours to receive by faith. Amen? And then secondly, we become joint heirs with Jesus. So there's a lot of inheritance. And as we study the scripture, we get so excited because we see this. So let's look at some of the promises to God, by God, to Abraham and his descendants. Number one. God promised to make Abraham the father of a great nation. So I want you to know this, that God wants you to be a father and a mother. God wants you to have spiritual children. God wants you to multiply. God, these promises are available for us. Number two, God promised to bless those who bless Abraham and to curse those who curse him. And it's so important to understand that as believers now, we, we come into that promise. God's got your back. Right? You don't have to worry. The Bible says, forgive your enemy. God, God is a better judge. Let God deal with it. Right? God's got your back, just like he had Abraham's back. Number three, 
God promised to give Abraham and his descendants the land of Canaan. Number four, God promised to make Abraham's name great and to make him a blessing to all nations. Did you know that God wants your name, you to have a great name, that you can uh, represent the kingdom of God and bring change in the earth, right? God promised to protect Abraham's descendants and give them victory over their enemies, okay? God wants to protect your descendants. Number seven, God promised to be with Abraham's descendants and never leave them or forsake them. And I think this is awesome because you can come and say, Father, God, because, you know, I'm an inherit, I, I, I inherit the blessings of Abraham. I thank you that all my children, despite where they seem to be in their minds, they're going to come to you, God. They're going to serve you, God. You're going to work on their behalf. And you can begin to pray that way because these promises belong to you. Amen? Aren't you excited? I think it's exciting. In regards to our eternal inheritance in Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, says, But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of a man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that awesome? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, entered into the heart of a man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love God? God has an amazing eternity for you. And so, if we want to, and this is the thing, a lot of people read this verse and they read it out of context and they say, you know, we don't know God's ways and somehow he's going to do great things. But we don't know, but let's read on. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 to 12. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. So what the Holy Spirit does is he reveals to our spirits the beautiful things that God has prepared or has given us. Amen? Now, next week when we keep going in Ephesians, we'll see that Paul is praying for the, the church of Ephesus, saying, I pray that God would open your eyes, that you would, you would know the hope of his calling, that you would see the deep things of God. See, our prayer life and how we desire, and as deep as we want to go in seeking God's face, will determine how much we will learn about what he has for us. You've got to be hungry. You have to search the scripture. Amen? So what has God freely given us? To summarize chapter 1, in him he chose to adopt us. Number 2, in him we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Number 3, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And number 4, in him we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. When? When we believed. Okay? And I just want to read that passage here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When you believed in the gospel, when you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That word sealed means the word deposit, right? And so back uh, when COVID broke out, I was looking for a car, okay, on Kijiji. And for some reason, cars were going like hotcakes, man. You couldn't, 
like I would call and the guy would be like, hey, come see the car at this time. And I'd, I'd pack up to go and then I'd get a phone call back. Oh, the car just sold. And uh, cars were selling, people were selling cars and, and the cars weren't even looked at. How many experienced that during COVID? So I figured out something really quick. If I want to get a car, I got to make a deposit even without seeing it. So I would, I, when I, I found a car that I liked and I called up and I said, here's my deposit. I'm going to come down. Now, then I could be at peace because I knew that They've got a down payment, so they're not going to sell the car. See, we can live at peace because we've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit for our full redemption. Because one day we're going to be fully redeemed. We're going to have heavenly bodies. We're going to rule and reign with Christ in eternity. We're going to be fully redeemed. But we can live at peace because why? The Holy Spirit has been deposited in us as a deposit. God has purchased us with his son's blood. Isn't that good news? Right? And so... These four in him statements are foundational for us to be able to stand. We need to understand these things in our hearts. And if we're struggling walking out our faith, uh, we probably need heart understanding of those issues. And so I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. And I have a couple questions I want to bring up. And we'll have the worship team come up, please. A couple questions I want to leave you with. Uh, this morning. The first question is this. Do I feel I'm at an event and spiritually underdressed? If you feel that way, it's probably because the revelation of God's forgiveness and the fact that he's adopted you is in your head, but it's not in your heart. And I want you to understand it at a heart level that God does love you despite how you feel, right? Number two, do I properly connect with the Father or is he still faced? Do I feel like when I pray that God's not connected with my heart, that he doesn't care, and there's no relationship there? And if that's you, I want to pray with you as well. So I'm going to just pray over you guys. and I don't want any hands coming up because you know your hearts. Let me just pray. Father, I just pray. I thank you for this word. God, we live in a season and a time where, as Paul was saying to the church of Ephesus, you need to understand these things, that you were adopted because God wanted to adopt you. He, it brought him great pleasure. That you were already forgiven of your sins because he chose to forgive you when you put your faith in him. God, I pray, Lord, that that revelation of our forgiveness, the revelation of our righteousness in, in God by Christ Jesus would come into our hearts, God, that we would know it, not just in the head, but it would drop into the heart. So we, everywhere we go, we can put our shoulders back knowing that, God, you're with us and you're working with us and you're working through us. And I, Father, I just pray that your people would get that revelation this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.